Welcome to those that have found our podcast, a 30,000 foot view. Uh, just one of a stream of new podcasts coming out of the team at the GOAT Agency. Here we will be discussing both marketing and business in a world that seems to be slowly getting used to where it currently finds itself. Speaking of those leaders and discussion uh, leaders in the world of marketing and advertising. Um, I'm Sam Fowler, Senior Account Manager here at the GOAT Agency and uh, very much um, looking for the expertise really of my co-host um, as always Mr Aaron Shepherd, uh, one of the three founders here at the GOAT Agency. Hello Aaron, how are you? Very well Sam, good to be here. Fantastic, I'm excited about our guest today. Very excited. Uh, somebody yeah. who, I, who I have seen probably speak more times at events or at conferences than anyone else and certainly speak better than anybody else either would be my number one speaker for a uh, for a conference would be this man yeah and um i i could i could list off um <laughs> the the things um that the uh, gentleman we're about to speak to has done um but at the moment he finds himself as a uh, chief business officer at defected records um welcome Mr. James Kirkham. Thank you very much. I genuinely can't live up to that billing, though. Let's try and ensure that the next uh, half an hour or whatever is not anticlimactic. <laughs> but thank you for the kind words. <laughs> now, obviously, you 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 know Aaron um, for quite a number of years, I'm sure. And then I, I met you for the first time at 8am while we were doing the Can podcast. And I believe you just come back from Nice while England were playing Japan um, the night before. That was the last time I saw you. I wouldn't say you were worse for wear, but <laughs> I don't um, think I was. I, I and I, I, you know, I, I strenuously deny these implications. I think <laughs> I actually believe that your morning podcast in Cannes kept many of us, frankly, on the straight and narrow during that lovely sunny week. My God, that feels a long time ago. Yeah, we had a lot of guests that that didn't quite make it. You know, where <laughs> 10 minutes before just sent us a little text just going, oh, not, no, sorry, I can't. And several that just just never, never messaged, you know what I mean? I genuinely um, recall thinking, I cannot drink much tonight because I need to get up for the podcast. So it's almost thanks to you that I wasn't as worse for wear as I normally am. <laughs> I, I, I remember quite a bit of filibustering that, uh, that week while I was randomly thrown onto a, a mic and gone, go on, Sam, you need to talk for a little bit um, because someone was texting going, by the way, I'm about 40 minutes out. And then it, next thing you know, it was an hour out. But it was, it was all a learning curve for us. Um, out of, a, out of all the brave and bold things you guys have done as an agency, I think picking to do an 8am podcast <laughs> slot in Cannes is right up there. <laughs> Yeah, it was one of our better ideas, definitely. Especially when it was the, I think it was the Friday before the actual event that Aaron sort of said to me, by the way, you're coming to Cam with us and we we're doing a podcast. And I went, okay, right. Randomly scrambling around Tottenham Court Road, trying to pick up different bits of equipment. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was an experience for sure. Um, obviously, we're here to sort of speak to you about like the current industry and obviously where you find yourself now at Defected Records. Um I mean, you guys are going, uh, are really sort of at the forefront at the moment of how, I guess, an industry is actually reacting to this. I mean, the, uh, you know, you're you're approaching nearly 10 million views on your content, and then you've obviously had the uh, the, the I think I believe it was on the 10th of April. You had your um, your stream featuring Calvin Harris, and looking at Facebook, it's got over 514,000 views now. How has this been for Defected Records at the moment? And is this uh, is this sort of the way that we need to be thinking about music? I guess in in regards to the future of music, even after this, is this is this now going to become a more regular thing where we've got these live streams where people aren't buying tickets? Gosh, there's a lot of questions in there. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to start with the last bit. I think I definitely think it's going to change quite a lot. I believe. I believe it will just be, for example, more commonplace that you or I might buy a ticket to a perhaps massive event, but then you get a virtual version too. I think that will become very natural probably in 2021 where, you know, going to see some of the biggest, I don't know, pop acts in the world might well come with a VR experience or an AR experience or a behind the scenes virtual version or a stream again version. I, I suspect the physical virtual combination will be something that becomes very normal. And yeah, maybe this era is frankly... The precursor to that, I think everyone absolutely, probably rightly, have leapt on the realisation that you've got a lot of artists, frankly, sat at home like we all are, 
doing what we can and therefore those who uh, do that little bit more and decide to be a part of something and stream something and get it out to their fans if there is a fan base I think are in a great position. Um, not everyone can do it. I genuinely believe you need community, uh, be it around a single artist. If you're a major label and you've got a, you know, a massive act like a Dua Lipa, for example, then you're probably in a position of strength. But I believe it's harder to break acts at majors at the moment, um, cool. just because there's a natural inclination to, you know, perhaps coalesce around music that you love or like. With Defected, yeah, I mean, you know, we have been affected. But we've managed to, I guess, um, do this, you know, in some part innovate, but in some part doing what we do best, which is putting on things like these virtual festivals every Friday, because it's been about where people need it the most. They've they've sort of asked for it almost. The audience, the fans and the community have been genuinely sort of demanding after the very first week that we're there every week for them during this time, which is a lovely almost reason for being, frankly. And all the while we've got great acts, great DJs to come on board there's one later, we're recording today on a Friday, there's one later today, Friday evening, where the DJ artwork is putting together the most incredible creative green screen backdrop, like going absolutely bananas to go alongside his frankly brilliant kind of mixing skills. Like people are going the extra mile. Um, there's people I think this weekend, nothing to do with us, but you've got Bob Sinclair doing one within Paris with the guys at Cirque, which, you know, many of the listeners might or might not know, but frankly always look amazing like photographically oh. filmically video skills are on point like i think we're in a stage where there is something for everyone um yeah. uh and you know we've just made sure that we can make up for the fact that we can't get everyone together on dance floors at the moment events and experiences and festivals and a season in Ibiza are absolutely core pillars of what Defected Records is about beyond the music. And this year, that can't be the case. So these are our efforts to still unite people and bring people together when where otherwise they're unable to be doing that in a normal way. Yeah. A, a big reason for me um, to get you on so early was I think Defective have, have, have moved quicker than 99.999% of people around them. You... Most people may know you, they may know you from your agency days and, and Leo Burnett days and, and Holler and stuff like that. They may also um, know you from Copper 90. You you joined Defected at the beginning of this year. What's How much of a pivot has there actually been at Defected from when you joined at the start of the year to now? Was Were elements of this always in a plan anyway or is this, yeah, the, I'd it's like you to walk us through how much of a pivot there's been and, and how you've taken that on. It's a great question. Um, in many ways, <laughs> okay, I don't want to sit on the fence. In many ways, not at all, because there's a team who understand how to throw an event and they understand how to market an event and to promote. And way, way before I arrived, what they've been doing really cleverly over the last few years, bit by bit, perhaps not necessarily in with the industry's attention on them, right. because they're a, inverted commas, record label. We are ultimately a, a bit in the business of making music. Um, but what they've been doing is building community over five and a half, I think it is million now followers, uh, um, fans around the world across social platforms, like a billion streams a year in terms of the record company. It's got the huge events experiences side of the business too. But they've been doing this kind of quite cleverly whereby it doesn't need necessarily loads of outbound marketing, certainly not spend very natural leveraging of artists and talent and DJs in a way that you guys know brilliantly with the way you frankly exert influence. That's very similar to kind of the way we would work with any of our acts or artists, but in a very natural, authentic way, like you guys would, again, I think, talk up all the time. So all of those ingredients were in place to answer your question. When we put together the virtual festival, it was a genuine just reaction to Christ. Well, we had to postpone these events and gigs. What can we do to bring people together? I was asked in the week, actually, by someone, you know, can they ever replicate, uh, frankly, going to a sweaty rave? Of course they can't. They are different. But the difference is something exciting and a byproduct that we didn't necessarily anticipate. We didn't anticipate the tens of thousands of photos and videos and beautiful user-generated stuff that came in that covers everything from NHS workers raving in their ambulance, genuinely, which is bananas, to... Uh, to cross-generational kind of love of it, like families and kids being introduced to music and house music for the very first time and Glitterbox, which is our kind of 
sister brand take that even further with a real accessible kind of new form disco kind of music. So we didn't, it wasn't like the whole business has to pivot, but the whole business has to be quick. I guess that's the big kind of difference. And again, I agree with you. And I think you really notice it. Some brands and businesses are probably literally unable from the way they are architectured, you know, the, the physical being and structure, but those you can act swiftly. And we happen to be in the week before lockdown, actually, it was kind of the very early social distancing measures. If you can act swift, then you get the first mover advantage. I think you said that um, quite recently. And, that still matters, doesn't it? It's still a big deal in this in this world of ours. Yeah, and I, rem- I, I remember you acting swiftly. I remember you were on a, uh, I was on a live with you a couple of weeks ago, and I remember you telling me how the first first one came about, and it was it was all over WhatsApp within twenty four hours, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. It was. It started as a WhatsApp com- conversation on a Sunday night, and became the promotion on the Monday, and then the artist got involved, sort of on the same day and by the Friday it was happening and it ended up being in front of a few million people. And it kind of built from there noise wise where more and more people have both jumped on board because they're realizing there's a really interesting part of it as well as it's um, a lot of people are saying it's like the marker for the weekend in this weird period. Timing time is weird. (laughs) I mean, we've all, we've all been a part of it ourselves. Like what day is it? Because of the slightly strange merging of time and, I think there's a few things going on. I think we talked about before, whether it be a morning PE lesson with Joe Wicks for people trying to homeschool, whether it be, uh, you know, other kind of, whether it be the Thursday night clap. And this has sort of been another marker of people are allowed to sort of begin their weekend now, which again, that's fortuitous. We thought Friday would be good. We didn't realise how you could almost own a segment of time like you perhaps could more traditionally in linear times. Like (laughs) things like that are really nice and very interesting parts of this new era that we're all kind of, edging into and so from a from a sort of progress and and things going backwards or or, or not going backwards point of view if, if i pick a hypothetical date let's say three years time so enough time that we are out of of this situation right because god knows how long this will go on for so let's let's say we're out of this situation in three years time and, and we're clear of it to what extent do you think things like virtual festivals will stick around and it will change how people consume and entertain and to what extent do you think there'll be a big rush back to um you know being in physical venues and stuff like that do you see that there'll be a balance sort of going forward or do you think as soon as the doors are open again people are just going to rush back in it's such a good question and it's one that we genuinely sort of debate quite regularly. You never quite know the genuine psyche of an individual. I, I personally, and this is more of a personal perspective, I can't help but think that this is going to leave, if not an indelible mark into our psyche, it will leave one that's going to take a little while to wash away. So it doesn't feel like overnight big venues are going to be full again. And I mean that in my old world of football, I, I think that is a an interesting phase that's going to happen. I think what is very natural and what we probably can say because of general restrictions, if you're looking in Spain right now, uh, um, what's going on, the likes of the Balearics and places like Ibiza, you know, they're just opening up again on a very, very small level. And you assume it will happen in that order. So let's, for argument's sake, by the end of the year or certainly Q4 autumn, you know, the UK will probably see, I don't know, 500 cap venues, for example, perhaps mm. coming back into play. And I think there's more to it than just, just going, OK, well, fine, that's phased. And then then it's Wembley Stadium by March. I think that one in itself will lead to some differences in the world of literal um, weekly economics. I think probably it'll be a return to you know, dance music, maybe to cheaper clubbing, you know, 10, 15 quid tickets. Uh you know, more regional clubbing perhaps might return, you know, the notion of travel, probably travel was being questioned quite a lot anyway in a world of climate emergency. I think that's going to be even greater interrogation, perhaps, you know, maybe it's much more limited. It won't be the, the, you know, the commute, if you like, to and from that, frankly, even the likes of myself a few years ago were probably doing relatively regularly. It might be more you know, uh, sporadic, more once or twice a year. So I think there's a lot of things there that will happen um, in a different way. The virtual physical packages and combinations, I think, like I mentioned, will be more regular. If you're a huge ticket provider or a huge kind of concert venue, is it realistic that, I don't know, are the Rolling Stones going to tour America next year? Do you know what I mean? Like, 
age will come into it. Travel yeah. propensity to bother to get onto an aeroplane will come into it. So in three years time, I don't believe it will look exactly like it did. I don't know how dramatic, but I do believe things like the virtual, the notion of yeah. the video call, the idea that it's very natural that, I don't know, 30 and 40 somethings who are now parents, for example, who don't go clubbing anymore, can frankly plug in on a Friday or a Saturday night and still get their love of house music or love of D&B or whatever it might be, even though they're just simply not going to go to a club in London or elsewhere. That, I think, will be more normal and absolutely fine. They can still feel as one with the brand, feel as one with the dance music culture or the records that they love, but they don't necessarily have to go to the kind of 5,000-strong venue with the you know, perhaps with a younger crew. I think that will be, that's probably a nice outcome, I hope, because it means accessibility for everyone. They don't yeah, just have to be forgotten. Absolutely. I mean, from a, you know, that's a, a big advantage to the virtual, um, to the whole virtual setup is, I, I, I think you're, I think we spoke about it. You're aware of Purple Goat, the um, yeah. disability agency that we've set up with Martin Sibley. And so I was talking to Martin the other day. He was watching a, uh, not dance music, actually. It was a, a national theatre production that was mm. streamed um, online. And he said, listen, as like for me, this is like one of the first times that I've been able to watch the theatre because I can't go, right? It's very difficult for me. It's, they're very inaccessible, et cetera, et cetera. So actually, people in the disabled community are today have much many more options on theatre that they can view than they did two months ago. And so the whole industry has become much more accessible to that community. And so hopefully they keep that open, right? When they go back, there's no reason to shut it. Stream one of them live and allow people to, you know, for $4.99 or whatever to go and to go and buy it and sit there and watch. You know, if people Mm. really want to go and and immerse themselves in that experience, they still will. But if they can't, they still have an option. So I think there'll be lots of silver linings out of people being forced to change their habits. Um, this info- I, I love that example and I think this enforced time right across the board from the biggest events to, to frankly working practices you know you're of a younger age but there'll be a lot of businesses where the CEO the founder like you will let's be honest be slightly more stuck in their ways would frown upon anything that might come close to flexi time or working from yeah. home but they're going to video conference in like that would be you know, sort of sneered as kind of lazy or swerving kind of a proper working day. I think because everyone's done it, that's going to be unbelievably common and acceptable and embraced. And actually flexibility around that will probably be the the lifeblood of some of the best new businesses and agencies around. And you could start with that, which is really mundane day-to-day working practices born from the fact that everyone's now on Zoom or Slack or whatever, right the way through to something beautiful example like you just said there, where People are perhaps going to be less lazy with the output. It's not a, it's, it might not be deemed sufficient to simply throw that event, that party, that festival and assume you're done. It's like, hold on, what about everyone else? What about yeah. whether it just be the parents who can't go to the club and out the example I used or something, frankly, far more, you know, uh, with far more worth and purpose like your example mm-hmm. where it's like, but, you know, it, may, it will stack up in terms of money as well because it will mean more eyeballs. It will mean more reach. It will mean more brand exposure. So... What a great thing. Yeah. And you, you you just touched on it with the whole idea of like these people that are stuck in the mud and, uh, you know, that they're not reacting and stuff like that. How how do you see this? Is quite a big question. How, so apologies. How do you see sort of the marketing mix when people are coming up with these ideas and the things they want to market? How do you see that changing after this or even over the coming months? Like how is that going to how is that going to, you know, expand and change? I My assumption would be that things like. Every idea at the moment has sort of now virtual stream or live feed attached to it. My assumption is that will be a bit like when we used to put mobile attached to everything or the word podcast attached to it yeah, if necessary. Or, or even, you know, if we could recall, you know, social in the early noughties and it's like, what? There's a social thing. It's um, whereas, in fact, it starts becoming like electricity and it becomes the word that you don't need to say. You don't say, I'm going to come in the room to turn on the light using my electricity you just say the first bit. And I believe it will be the same where it sort of becomes irrelevant that it's virtual or live streamed. It still comes down to the concept or the idea that its foundation is the thing people should actually talk about. I assume that. I think we're still in a phase at the moment where 
gosh, I'd imagine every man and their dog are putting together plans or proposals around things like virtual live streaming. Areas like entertainment and leisure and music are the most obvious and natural, but... You know, even small, cute ideas like watch along with uh, film nights, trying to displace or rather replace the lack of ability of going to cinemas. Anything that ultimately is about coalescing around uh, a piece of an an entertainment property with others where you can share passion and you can use social what it's best at, like infectious enthusiasm. I think there must be bundles of those ideas. And I guess it will just be the brilliance of the idea that wins, you know. They can be simple as well. Mighty Boosh's watch along the other day was probably pretty popular because it's a cult show with a cult following and, mm. you know, the talent can be involved. That's probably perhaps the other thing interesting and, again, probably super relevant with GOAT, but the integration or leveraging of talent, I suspect, will change massively. Like, talent, I think, because they're leaning in so heavily in this period when they're able, stuck in their living rooms like anyone else, you suspect that it will break down a few of their previous barriers or maybe snobbery or, you know, uh, reluctance to be involved with the brand or whatever they might have been where they're like, just use my name and we're done. It's like, no, 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 you need to be pretty involved, actually. You need to be able to interact with these fans. You need to demonstrate the added value that that community can get out of you. And I suspect this will be quite a sea change, actually, in how much they're willing to do. Maybe more like in the world of influencers, frankly, where talent are no longer just out of reach use their name or their you know their picture and you're kind of done it it will probably be quite a high level of expectation of what we could kind of get out of them be it for brands or agencies or more yeah i certainly think i mean we've we've had i mean i've personally had a lot of um celebs actually reach out looking Mm. sort of realizing that i mean one their income streams have dried up because they're not getting their you know, their, 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 their money for going on GMTV or for going yeah. to an event or to yeah. go to this party or to do that. They're, none of their filming stuff is happening. They've always, historically, the big sort of production and celeb stuff, they've always looked down on social as like a, oh, yeah. a secondary thing. And now they're watching these influencers produce content that they could only dream about because they don't, you know, they're used to having a 40-person production crew and when it's pretty easy to make great content, it's not that easy when it's just you or you and one other person. And they're realizing what's possible. And so, you know, I'm seeing huge numbers of, of um, traditional celebrities trying to make social content. Some of it is really good and some of it should never, ever be seen by humans. But, you know, it's a, it's, it's a balance. But I, I, you know, we we started, you know, we've been since we started with Nico Rosberg and a few others, we've obviously dealt with a couple of talent, but we always try not to. And I'm seeing the, the level of, of desperation from traditional talent to get involved in social is like 10 times greater than it was a couple of months ago. Yeah. Was that happening anyway, but it's been accelerated? It was because they're, 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 I mean, really, the reason is them is, is that money is drying up, right? The, the whole yeah. reason we exist is because celebrities don't have power in their digital audience. So Cristiano yeah. Ronaldo was an ambassador of Sport Lobster. He had 120 million followers. He told all of those people to go and download it. 2,000 did. An influencer at 100,000 did the same, and 2,000 did, right? So that it was, we understood very early on that celebrities with huge followings when they ask their audience to act, very few of them actually do. And more and more brands are looking to pay based on what actually happens and results. And so just because it's a big celebrity name, if they're not going to drive any purchases from the website, like they won't, that deal won't be that big. So because the deals are starting to change where people won't just give a celebrity 5 million quid to put their name on something anymore, um, they actually want something else. It means that they have to change their offering. And so, you know, they're starting to realize that, oh, I might have 5 million followers on Instagram, but actually it's pretty meaningless um, because they're following them because they might have heard of them five years ago. It's a very different relationship. You know what I mean? If someone follows uh, a niche content creator and that content creator asks the audience to act, a huge percentage of the audience do it. So much more valuable to the brand. So I think it's been happening anyway. Um, I guess it's just when all your other income dries up, it it obviously 
becomes a much bigger issue. And my hunch, my hunch is that there'll be something of a seal broken right now because of the latent creativity that celebrities, talent, whoever are having to pour into whatever it is that they're doing. So within the mm. within the kind of confines of the the, the the tedium, if you like, of their surrounds or their living rooms or whatever. Many are becoming increasingly funny or irreverent or comic or out of the ordinary or putting together their own little Zoom FaceTime style partnerships or collabs you'd never have imagined. In other words, there's a there's a push to be creative, to stand out amongst the noise and the clutter that's currently going on. And I'm hopeful that you'll never go back from that necessarily. Now, as you say, some things go a bit awry and they're almost cringy, but in the main, that should be a good thing because it means they can't just kind of lazily sort of sit there and assume they'll yeah. collect, collect their money for the use of their face. It means that you, you want to extract all the good stuff from their personality and their character that makes, that's got them to where they are, be it within mm. sport or film or whatever it might be, that you can then use creatively and in an interesting way. I, I yeah. think so anyway. I, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound terrible here, but I'm sort of, I'm enjoying that we're having some sort of cull of the Z-listers that we've suddenly realised can't even put together a TikTok video, um, you know, and uh, and as much as they try, um, you're not going to get a laugh for that. Um, and I think I think there's a big point, like you said, with regards to that they're they're sort of realising they can't guarantee that money. That they've they've now sort of had to take a step back and gone, oh oh, what 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 am I about? What is what is my thing? I guess, and they have to think about that internally when they're when they're putting that out on socials as well. Yeah, that must be brilliant as a, I, I, I like that. And the Z list, or not even that, but those low level influencers who actually yeah. who actually don't have a point or a purpose. And it, I don't know, perhaps it could fit under a fashion vertical eventually, but th- there's literally nothing that's technically being done or shown that's new in the world. I kind of agree with that. I think lessening the noise from that when there is no idea behind anything in the first place, that can only be good. It sounds harsh, as you say, but that's probably a good thing. Hundred percent, and I think it works them out for us as well because even even the even the guys you know like we we pride ourselves on the people that we work with that they're able to create good content they're able to create stuff you know these these guys that we work with you know they're having to come up with new ways and that, that's why that's what we pride ourselves on what we do because we we've got these guys that are thinking out of the box because you can't just take a picture of the same thing because you are at home you are within those confides you have to think creatively and if anything i I'd, I'd say that you know in regards to obviously where i'm sort of on the front line with the campaigns is that you know i'm seeing content when they come through for clients where i'm thinking my god i wouldn't have got this i wouldn't have got this content from them you know a month or two ago because they've had to actually think about it and that's what i do enjoy is coming out of it is that these guys are having to go away and think well no i i, I can't really post i can't do that i can't you know there's there's got to be some sort of give and take in a sense that they need to be a lot more active in what they're actually coming up with yeah the, the word active is a really good part of that maybe yeah. maybe that's the, the simple way to surmise what you would assume is next from influence and talent like it will encourage full stop a greater active role from them yeah. which ultimately should lead to greater creativity yeah. One one thing I did want to ask you about, um, taking it back to music as well, and also talking about the, you know, some of these these god awful clips that we're seeing from the, some of these benign inf- uh, these benign celebrities that we, um, you know, have 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 come sick in Big Brother about seven years ago. Um, I've got to talk to you about TikTok. Um, you know, viral videos and music. It seems to be the perfect pairing. We've seen record companies, you know, work work with influencers and TikTok stars to create these trends. Sort of how big and how important is that for, you know, your community as well? Sort of, and, and what have you seen, I guess, or, or have you even seen any sort of use of TikTok in your, in, you know, towards Defected? It's generally, uh, it's generally been on the probably on the periphery, if you like. Defected's mm. core is probably a slightly more uh, aware, and I, I don't mean that disparagingly. Yeah. Uh, kind of musically, you know, they're pretty um, impassioned, kind of smart househeads at their core, with great knowledge and often encyclopedic knowledge, and so on. So um, that's kind of the core. However. There's definitely a role. I mean, yeah, I'm sure you guys have covered it loads, but the impact of TikTok on music kind of worldwide is fascinating. I remember about, gosh, probably 
15, 16 months ago, and I spoke to a pretty senior music exec, and he said the first thing on their meeting kind of agenda at the moment was, what are we doing with TikTok? I was like, bloody hell, that's, that was far greater impact than I realised at the time. It's got to be the type of record, because we saw success. We had a record that went, like, um, top 10 in the UK. I think it's top 15 in Australia right now, called Pump It Up by Endor, which is great dance mm. record. Um, it's probably slightly different, actually, to a regular defective release, but it caught fire from exactly that end of the community so uh, Leeds United fans for example started singing it on or they paraphrased a version of it and started singing it on the terraces with rather than you've got to pump it up it was the whites are going up and then that got stolen and taken and used in other kind of football based vernacular and then people uh, what which we liked we started deliberately we seeded out I think 15 seconds from it and it started being used to underpin various viral videos there was a guy uh blowing up his um tire which he'd broken down in his car on the edge of a motorway and you've got to pump it up became the theme yeah. as he pumped up the tire and listen it's useful because the videos are great they're not harsh they're not disparaging there's nothing wrong with them they're funny little viral videos that we all see in our streams and they're transient but that's the nature of the beast so it's great yeah. and you'll give it a like and you move on but that is useful awareness of a record and people then recognizing, finding it out, working out what it is. So you have to um, sort of admit that it's not a bad discovery vehicle if the record is of that ilk and type. Uh, and there's a record, there's a record in the charts right now, isn't there? There's a huge record. And I've just forgotten the name of any of it. But anyway, that's effectively a TikTok song. I, it's been basically uh, broken through it. You guys will probably know. There's another one, actually. There's so I just literally saw something um, in the last couple of hours. There's so Charlie D'Amelio, who's the biggest TikTok influence in the world, 50 million. Yes. Her sister's also huge. She has just released uh, a video and the track in the background is a new track from Halsey and Marshmallow that she has dropped for the first time. Not them. They've given it to her to drop and she's just dropped it into her video. Right. Um, And so, uh, you know, it's not it's not like it was released last week and she's just picking up on it. Like that, I promise you, you'll see it in the next 24 hours. They'll be, you know, in the news about that. And just a mad situation that that that's how you've got two massive artists using some girl on TikTok to launch it because she's more powerful than they are. Which which makes you know in a weird way it makes sense that they they would be smart enough to allow or leverage the biggest TikTok influencer on the planet yeah. to be the primary or sole distribution channel for a new record that knowing full well it will catch light and catch fire and then get sent. I mean, you see, you see sorry, go on there. No, well, there'll be, there'll be 10 million TikTok videos with that song in copying right. her dance that she did with it. You know, it's, 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 I wonder from a copyright point of view, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, I just think people wouldn't have even, no. wouldn't have contemplated. They'd have gone, well, where's the money? You know, yeah. can't play that there if we don't get paid, but, putting it there takes it to number one, which then means you get, you know, it's a, a bit of a roundabout way. Yeah, it's, it's still a shop window of sorts, you know, going back to the iTunes model of when it first came out and the shop window of not needing to pay for that, but then you discover the record. It's not a million miles from it. It's, I guess, an ultimate discovery vehicle. It definitely, definitely comes down to the type of record and the type of music and, you know, and the suitability. On saying that, the demographic of the platform will continue to shift. TikTok themselves, as we've all seen, are making big hires right here in the UK. Big kind of, you know, big names that I'm sure many of us know within the industry and stuff like that have kind of moved over either from rival social platforms or from super credible parts of the industry. Like they will continue to evolve this beast now. It's a classic thing, isn't it, where you've got that huge numbers, massive discovery, lots of old people not understanding it, which is always a great thing for a new social platform because it gives it a chance to catch fire on the very young people who can share it the most prior to, you know, the mums and dads getting involved and people deserting it in their droves. That's certainly the way it seems to have gone for other platforms. And I dare say it will be similar with TikTok. I agree. And I, I, the only thing I can remember recently where there's been as big a movement of people was The Athletic, where every journalist in, in the UK over a period of a month moved there. But it, it's Every it feels like every week I see another big name going to TikTok. I, I agree. It seems like they're building a um, 
a team to take over the world then. Do you guys work specifically with TikTok, um, uh, bespoke, yeah. distinct TikTok influencers for brands? Uh, yes, both with TikTok as a client and um, we use TikTok for other clients. So TikTok is a client of ours, plus we, for other brands, obviously run TikTok campaigns like we do on any other platform. Um, yeah. But yeah, we 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 spotted... New- I Actually, my brother set up a TikTok agency when it was Musical.ly three years ago. Um, right. So we're, we're sort of connected in that way. We've got a little finger in there. And do you find um, at the moment that it's... Because whereas the music industry and because of its origins, the way you've just described it, of course, are very natural. And people, like I mentioned, it was a while ago now that people in the majors were saying how important it was, which is only good for it as a platform. But from a brand perspective, when maybe one for Sam, but when you have those conversations, are they are they in that, oh, let's try it out for the first time period? Or are they like, is it more asking, requesting from those guys saying, we want to see what you've got in this or what you can do for yeah. it? It's a great question in a sense that like I'm even having a conversation currently um, with like a with a with a food brand and it's almost it's sort of those people that we talked about earlier that are stuck in the mud where the only social platforms they'll listen to you when you mention them are Instagram, Facebook and Twitter mention anything else and they see sort of recoil at you and go, what's this? You know, Um, you know, and. I t- I tried to talk someone through TikTok the other day and it was just like oh but that's just that's just silly dances isn't it and you know you tr- you have to go through and that's part of our role is that you know it's that education of sort of showing them examples like I even went as far for a client last week where I I had created um like I've been doing a couple of TikToks to try and learn how it exactly works so that when I'm obviously talking about it and plus it's addictive as hell um but I, I created something because they didn't understand that you could take clips from famous films or TV shows. So I took a clip that they wanted to reference and I made one and sent it to them. They're like, oh, right, I get this now. I get how it how it works. But it's very much a platform where you, uh, as you say, it's it's educating them and it's, I guess, showing them exactly what the, the scope of creativity can be on there. Because I'll be honest, compared to Instagram... You can do a lot more via versus an Instagram story, let's say. It give it gives you a lot more on that platform of what you can do. And I think that it's actually quite nice to see a platform that is letting the creators do whatever the hell they want, you know? It's what you want your own sound, create your own sound. What you want to copy someone else's sound, do that. What you want to pair up with someone that's got two hundred thousand followers to try and, you know, uh, grow your own following, yeah, we can give you that feature. It's um it's it's a really really nice app, and uh, the more brands are going to understand it, I think they're going to see the value in it. Uh, I, it. A lot of people, I think, rightly have kind of made the comparisons with what Vine was like at one point, and yeah. the way that it elicited such natural creative juice from people, and some of the stuff you saw were little little tiny masterpieces, you know, and there was Ooh. something very special. And I think you, we see the same with some of the. It's interesting. I've I've noticed. Some of the best TikToks are now transcending the platform in the way that, again, it happened on our previous social platform. So a lot of my Twitter stream now is people's TikToks. And now that's mm. clearly only a good thing, uh, for, well, as in for TikTok, as in natural creativity rises, then it gets shared and it gets kind of perpetuated or copied or echoed and stuff like that. And that's unsurprising. One of the other things that it sort of reminds me of, but I haven't seen examples yet, and that was why I was interesting on the brand that you work with is, I'm wondering if it go, it now begins a new world throwback to, I don't know, 70s and 80s advertising, which was always about the ditty or the jingle or the yeah. little kind of even the catchphrase. And it's effectively a brand moment. And that got very much kind of, you know, eradicated, if you like, in the way the media changed and the atomization of media and one single yeah. jingle couldn't really carry things anymore because you had more than three channels. But it's almost like if you can encapsulate that moment within something as short but as potentially brilliantly creative that you can do on TikTok, that should be a lovely calling for all of those creative brains around the world who perhaps bemoan a world of social media rather than you know the mm. traditional above the line. It feels perfect for that. That's Whether you are a food brand like you've just referenced, you can get quite a lot into it and, and they can travel. They can transcend the, the platform. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. I think the power of audio is 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 huge and people have sort of lost that for a period i think subtitles on social these sorts of things you know and people watching without sound it does make it more challenging but tiktok i mean you don't watch that without sound so it's 
there is a big, big opportunity there from an audio point of view. We even things like the beginning of our vlog is um, high hopes is a very yeah. short segment of that. There was a, a concert um, about six months ago in I think it was in London. It might be somewhere else. There's fifteen thousand kids in a exhibition centre all singing. And one of the songs was High Hopes, right? And it's this this whole thing um, where all these kids are singing it like a choir, but obviously lots of choirs. And I think I had six or seven people send it to me whose kids were in that audience going, <laughs> oh, I'm at a goat agency concert. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's honestly, like it was... It was weird. I think it happened over a few different nights. So it was like continuing to happen. People kept sending it to me, be like, you'll never guess. And I'll be like, yeah, no, I actually have seen it. Thanks. Um, but like, I, I, I didn't realize the power of that for us that. until that moment. And I went, oh, right. Okay. That's actually what you associate us with. There's something here, and I haven't really thought this through, but this this last one or two minutes of conversation, I think, is so interesting. This idea of that sonic identity, the way that can travel, the importance of sound design, like you brightly flagged, and how it's weird. Maybe we've it's almost like the industry's gone deaf for 20 years. Actually, it's become, yeah. it's so visual and atomized, like we're talking about, even the way the aesthetic of the influencer. And, but it but that is such an interesting point. Like, and then it comes back all the way to music discovery. My my 10-year-old boy's entire music discovery, Christ, as worrying as this is, is entirely through WWE. So he shouts at Alexa in the kitchen, asking for a track, which is effectively a walk-on music of a wrestler. But of course, it's actually a famous hip-hop track or a rock track. Or he was just telling me the other day about Snoop Dogg for the first time because he's done some collab with some wrestler that I'd never heard of. But the point is... They're all the means of discovery. So if they're bite-sized or tiny, like a wrestler's walk-on music is, is actually a small excerpt, but it's getting kids all over the world or fans yeah. into new artists from rock to hip-hop. And the way you've just said all of those kids at the GOAT concert, there's an idea for you, by the way, the GOAT festival. Yeah. Uh, but that's brilliant. I, I, I would love to think that this single platform could push or bring back maybe the importance of sound full stop. I think that's a really nice thought. Okay, great. So I, one more thing. I'm very aware of time. I just want to make sure that I talk to you about this before you go. You're, you're obviously um, you know, very much in the music scene now and, and, and a driving force in that. But you, know, you for, for many, many years, have been at the forefront of, of sport. Um, you, you obviously um, you know, ran Copper with, with um, you know, Tom and the guys over there for a period of time. I'm sure you're still very close with them. Um, yeah. and and lots of other sports entities what's are you you know what are your thoughts around around sport and obviously you know i think we talked earlier about um mass sort of events right we're so we're not going to see 60 70 000 people in the stadium for a, a for a long period of time what is this an opportunity for sport to to really pivot into you know different formats is it is it an opportunity around maybe broadcast changing do you see ott things coming coming up what do you see as the big opportunities there um sport at the moment makes me sad because i miss it so much uh yeah. and, and absolutely everything you've just said is true and i speak with the copper guys all the time and i adore what they do at the moment they've they've got something great you've got a client there like ea where people are literally so they've got footballers playing fifa at home so there's a very natural bridge at the moment to encourage this kind of home isolated life but make the most of it and play a fantastic game and all of that good stuff but the actual product of going to football seems to make me sad on a weekly basis where I see my diary of events that I was due to be going to football matches with my son that I'm not going to. Uh, I think you've got, I, I'll be honest, I feel overwhelmed by it at the moment in terms of its concern at a grassroots, local level, stuff like that, which isn't a typically positive answer for me. But in other words, I have no idea how these clubs, my local club, Hampton and Richmond Borough up the road, that we go to loads and I have friends who are part of the supporters trust. I don't know how these clubs will survive without some unbelievably large help or payments. And they are a million miles away, of course, from beginning to think about how any kind of tech or broadcast innovation might help. And that just for me feels A, a shame and B, something that needs to be addressed. I have a feeling uh, I'm hearing about, I'm sure we all are, things like Premier League returning in June. Christ, I feel massively in two minds about that. I desperately want to see football again, but the idea of it either behind closed doors or with like 
CGI crowds or piping in. I don't know. That that just fills me with, frankly, dread and just feels utterly weird and improper. And all of those cliches are true, that without the fans, there's not a lot there when it comes to sport uh, in general and certainly sports like football. Maybe some you can get away with it in a slightly different way or a different guise. I would love to think the broadcasters are at this moment innovating. I know platforms like Copper are going to start showing like Japanese football when it returns, which is cool. And I know we spoke for quite a while with some a pretty high, much higher level actually with social platforms, with broadcasters about how you can innovate the product. I still think it's due a massive turn of the wheel. You know, Sky is what is it? Thirty years ago, something like that, or twenty? I'm, I don't know. I'm probably a decade out. It's a bloody long time when no, Sky came in. And they did a lot. They had a lot of sheen and gloss with all the money and, you know, a couple more camera angles. But I think we are on the verge of it going so much further than that. The consumption of the game, and obviously it was football that I knew better than anything, but the consumption of that was and is so different with those modern fans from the atomized content to the notion of looking back on it in a clip-like format on your social streams to seeing goals in a moment and it being like the blurb on the back of a book and you're not needing to frankly watch the entire match right the way through to the characters of the players themselves how they grasped the new social really well in many many cases how they you know uh, do an awful lot with their own communities and their own kind of social spheres and you know interact with them and surprise and delight them so it's so much different from what it was but I feel the turn of the wheel should be the actual broadcast product now. Like maybe it should be better split into different sections and published in different parts. Uh, maybe you can see entirely different angles like ref cam style camera angles where you feel a part of the action like you do when you're playing FIFA and, you know, yeah. it stops in a matrix like moment and it uses a time slice style camera to see the different angles. Well, feels very natural now that should be within the game itself and then you'd explode those moments out into social and so on and so on i i definitely feel we're overdue that kind of attention to the broadcast maybe this will help it my fear is this though is still just causing paralysis it will be dominated by greed at the top level of the federations where the money can come from and will ultimately about be about getting a game on in front of a watching tv millions to you know, to reap those financial rewards. I, I don't know if it will do enough for the for the grassroots and I don't know if it will do enough for trying to innovate at this time. But yeah, that's um, that feels like the state of play. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um, what I would say is I would buy a VR headset if that, if that yeah. ever came to, you know, I, mm. when VR was happening, you know, which felt to me like five or six, it was 2012 really when Oculus and everything was getting released and like n- nothing's really happened since then. But like that was the big period. Everyone thought, oh my God, this is going to take over. At the time I was thinking, you imagine if you could be sat in Stanford Bridge, a seat of your choice next to your mate, who's also, you know, in his house with a VR headset. Like, and if you could somehow loop speakers into the stand so that the players could hear the people that were looped in or so, I, I don't know, you, you, you could take it to another level. Yeah, I agree. Uh, anything like that, if you can be in that chosen seat in the stadium, in every stadium up and down the land, and you effectively, your your headset was the access point into that stadium, that's amazing. Or even the peripheral stuff, the stuff that Copper 90 did and does best around uh, the fan stuff, the Derby Days style pieces. You know, imagine your VR headset transporting you into the middle of 2000 kind of crazy Belgrade fans as they come down during a Europa League game. That's flipping brilliant because that is all about atmosphere. And that goes back right to the start of this conversation where there's a lot of people. I'm, you know, 40-something now and a parent and that, and I'm probably not going to get amongst it to that level. I would have had a VR headset and could watch it from my sofa. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe that's that's where we're going to. And it it does annoy me. It does annoy me that that VR has taken that, that... I don't know. Like you say, it's just plateaued. We haven't, we haven't heard anything. We haven't seen any real, you know, big groundbreaking stuff happening. And sport just seems such an obvious 
you know, connection. Like me, I mean, God forbid, for my for my sins, I'm a season ticket holder at West Ham United. Wow. But, yeah, I know. But if they just offered me a VR headset or something like that, I'd probably rather that because having to trudge down there every week to watch the protests and everything is bad enough, let alone watching the football. So... Why, what, what, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm realising time now. What, why is it? What, what's, what's your assumption? Are we just assuming, because I saw Magic Leaps and all sorts of trouble as well a couple of weeks ago. Is it just, uh, is it not feasible? I think it's, yeah, I think the tech isn't as good as everyone wants it to be. And so, yeah. you know, the adoption is just like the, the, the hardware's too expensive. The software's not good enough. And right. I think it's almost like a floppy disk sort of situation i think this is a a middle point of technology but actually yeah. we'll probably go to holograms but you know and just cut this shit out that's sort of what it feels yeah. like is we're just going to miss this and go on to something better um yeah you know but i don't know it's a, it's a it's an interesting one you know because the best thing that could possibly happen if you're a vr company is a lockdown where everyone's at home surely completely um, agree or even, or let's be honest. If you're Facebook, you know, if they bought Oculus and you have those engineers, and I saw Zook's message this week, and all the, it's a great time for Facebook at the moment. You know, they've eradicated a lot of the feeling of division and social toxicity, and the, the ubiquitous nature of the platform. And everyone's like, oh, actually, this is super useful for connecting, and they're adding video, Zoom-like stuff. Surely, if you're them, I completely agree. It's like, wouldn't you double down at this point and yeah. get, get something going? Yeah. Well, if they don't do it now, then they never will. So I think if, if they don't, if someone, if those VR companies aren't able to do this in the next nine months, forget them. Mm. Um, I just want to say thanks, James. Really, really appreciate you you coming on. It's always, always hugely insightful. Yeah. Th- thanks for joining us, uh, James, today. Um, if you want to find out more about Defected Records, go and give them a search. Have you got a, Have you got anything else that you're plugging at the moment for Defected Records? Oh, crikey, it doesn't end. It's quite a ridiculous amount. I, I, won't, <laughs> I won't use this. With the amount of releases, we've, we've got albums coming out for Honey Dijon. There's a, there's a ridiculous amount of content that's coming out. Our radio show podcast has just reached number one on iTunes again. It. It's Yeah, we're... We're going a bit mad during this time. That's why everyone's looking frazzled and exhausted. When we all get back to work, we're going to look for a holiday. Everyone else will be raring to go. <laughs> I, I can imagine. Thank James, thank you for joining us. Go and find out more about Defective Records and James. Uh, for myself and Aaron, uh, you can find out, obviously, more about us at the Goat Agency on LinkedIn or even on YouTube, where, obviously, um, we vlog every single day at work. Uh, Aaron, we will catch up on the next podcast, I'm sure. And uh, thank you for joining us again for another outing of the 30,000-foot view. Um, Do subscribe to our other podcasts coming out of the Goat Agency as well. And uh, stay safe and stay indoors. And, of course, uh, listen to podcasts and Affected Records. 